Thank you. Thank you. I don't know. Pastor Dave says I love a good meal as much as he does. That, I don't know about that. If you know anything about Pastor Dave, he really loves a good meal. And if I ever need advice on where to go to eat, he's one of the first calls I'm making. So it's great to be with you today. And as we step into God's word, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, spending time and energy to be present to hear what God has to say to us this morning. Uh, It's my heart to be able to open up the word of God uh, and display honestly what he's done in me through the word and then for all of us to even learn uh, through that together. So if you would pray with me, I'm just going to ask God's blessing once more as we open up this time. Father, you are good, and there's none like you. Lord, your word is eternal, and it brings us hope and joy and life in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of celebration. I pray today that as we look into this episode of Moses' life, that you would help each and every person in this room find your grace, find your love, find your light, so that they can be set apart for the calling you have on their life. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this time. Help us in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is a pretty cool campfire story that we get to see in the life of Moses. If you've watched any movies about the Old Testament, you've probably seen some variation of the campfire or the burning bush that Moses comes along. But it's really a story of a moment, a transformational moment that happens in the life of a leader that I think exemplifies and gives us a chance to learn some pretty critical things about both who God is and who Moses is, and ultimately what that means for us as we live out our lives in 2023. I think back to 1994, I won't tell you uh, how many years I had already spent in the same grade as a teenager, but I was there, and in the midst of that journey, I was living away from home. Got into an argument, actually several arguments with my stepfather, and everybody felt like it was in our best interest for neither he or I to be living in the same house. So I was living at a friend's house for the summer, and while I was there, towards the end of the summer, my mother pulled up in her van and said, um, knocked on the door and said, hey, Jeremiah, we're sending you away for a week, which I was uh, nervous about at first, but then she said, we're sending you to the beach in New Jersey. And I was like, okay, this sounds good. Um, so it was a Friday, and mom picked us up, picked me up, and she said, you can take a friend with you. So I got a friend. We went, got on got on the van, went over to the church, and the youth pastor had a charter bus filled with students and he had no idea that I was, mom was going to be bringing me on this trip. Now, if that's me looking back, I'm saying, sorry, lady, no way. But this guy had grace and an open door for me to get on that bus, talk about second chances. And I get on the bus with a friend, and for the entire week in Ocean City, New Jersey, I'm just enjoying the trip. It's a Christian event, sermons happening at night, games happening during the day. Talk about teen camp. We spent this whole week at teen camp having a blast with teenagers in a very similar setting. Well, I'm there, and I'm just thinking, I'm here for the sun, having a good time. And in the last service, on the last night of this week-long conference, I'm sitting in the very backmost row of this large room, and I feel in my heart, And in my spirit, which I wouldn't have been able to say it then, but in my spirit, God whispering to me, you know it's true. Come to me. 
And in that moment, my hands started getting tingly. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to prove my mother right by responding to this moment. Everything in me was resistant to the move of God in my life. But I couldn't do anything but get up out of my seat and move forward in response to the love of God and the truth of God in that moment. I think we've all had moments like this in our lives. Maybe they've been moments of transformation for the good. Maybe they've been moments of fear transformation that, that haven't been so good. But either way, we can look back at our lives and go, There's, here's this moment, here's this moment, here's this moment that changed me. I remember as I had teenagers, my son was um, going through a hard time and I dropped on my knees in his room one day while he was away and just began praying for him and, and through tears and sobbing, just wondering what God was going to do with his life. I heard God whisper again, not audibly, but just internally, I heard him say, he's mine. He's mine. I love him. And in that moment, I rested. In that moment, I found peace in the knowledge that God's grace is enough. In the moment that I knew God's grace is enough, by an encounter and experience through prayer with God, he set me at ease. And today we get to read about a story in Moses' life where God does something similar, but not just for Moses, but for an entire nation of people. And not just for an entire nation of people, we'll see later for an entire world of people that were lost in need of second chances. Anybody in the room need a second chance? Anybody? Okay, there's three of us. Um, anybody else need a second chance? Anybody else ever need a second chance in life? All right. Third, fourth, fifth, we all need them. Well, as we open up God's Word, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up as to what happened. If you missed last week's message, um, Moses finds himself cast out from Egypt. He was at a place of leadership, and as a result of his choice to kill a man, he runs for his life once it's found out. And in the midst of running for his life, he finds a new life, not as a prince of Egypt, so to speak, but now as a shepherd. And for 40 years, he's out shepherding sheep. He has a whole new existence now. As opposed to the one he had in Egypt, he now is caring for and feeding and giving sheep what they need. And in the midst of this journey, we pick it back up at the, at the bottom of chapter 2, where the Word of God says, And God heard their groaning, meaning the people of Israel who had been enslaved in Egypt, he heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Notice this story doesn't begin with Moses. It's really not even about Moses as much as it is about God's deliverance of his people. So Moses, in case there's a couple of different commentary editions of what is happening here, and just kind of to peel back the curtain a little bit of study, uh, some commentators actually say that this bush had been burning for a very long time. So the mountain was known as a sacred place because it was that place where the burning bush lived. So people would avoid it. And as we read the story, we see not just the miracle of this burning bush, but we see the miracle of God speaking with man and him not turned to dust. So this burning bush is on the mountain that other people are avoiding. And we see in Moses this continuation of his adventurous mindset this willingness to be curious, this willingness to take his sheep where other people aren't taking them. And as he sees this burning bush, he turns aside. And we pick it up in chapter 3, verse 4. And Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see. And God called to him from the midst of the bush. And he said, Moses, Mo wait, let me try that again. And he said, Moses, Moses. Is that better? More like the Hollywood version? What if God's voice is like, Moses, 
It could be, right? I mean, we make, you know, I don't know. Anyway, Jeremiah, rein it in. And he said, here I am. And note this, Moses' response to God is this three-word statement that we hear a few other times in the Old Testament. And if you're wondering how you could respond to God when you feel him tugging on your heart, I would suggest that here I am is a great statement. If you feel God calling you to do something, I would say the answer to how is here I am. God's calling Moses. His response, at least at first, is here I am. And he said, you must not come near here. You must not come near to here. Take off your sandals from on your feet, because the place on which you are standing, it is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid of looking at God. So Moses and God have this encounter, and notice here, there's a repetition in God's direction to Moses. He says, take off your sandals from on your feet. He doesn't need to add the repetition there, but he does. He makes sure that it's not just important for Moses to take the sandals off, but also for him to know that he's now naked before the God of heaven. And Moses, in his fear, hides his face. I think that's more because of what he knows himself to be before God, rather than anything else. So then the passage goes on to say, And now come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you must bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the Israelites out from Egypt? And God said, Because I am with you. Notice here, God's instruction and God's preparation or continued preparation for Moses isn't about what Moses can do. It's about who goes with him. Verse 13 carries on the story to say, But Moses said to God, Look, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll say to me, What's his name? Then what shall I say to them? And God says to Moses this classic statement, I am that I am. So you must say to the Israelites, I am sent me to you. Commentators will say that throughout history, people would look for a new revelation of who God was that was speaking. Is it the God of the high places? Is it the God of the low places? Tell us about this new God that you come in message for. And the commentators will say, and scripture will read, that this is a whole new concept. This is one God that is the same God for all eternity. And he's declaring There is no other but me. I am that I am, and let them know that I am sent you. There is no new revelation of the same God. He's essentially saying, I will never change, and I'm sending you to them. Declare my word. So when God says to Moses, you must say to them, Yahweh, the Lord God of your ancestors and God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my remembrance from generation to generation. He also adds, But I myself know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go unless compelled by a strong hand. I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all of my wonders. We've seen the movies. We know the stories. God is preparing Moses for the toughest leadership, the toughest leadership lessons of his life and the toughest journey he'll ever be on. And Moses answers and says, If they don't believe me, and if they don't listen, what should I say? And God says, throw your stick down. 
which is kind of, I wonder what Moses is thinking in that moment. Like, throw the staff? Okay, maybe he's he already told me to take my sandals off. Now i got to throw my staff down. He throws it down. It turns into a snake. He picks it back up, and it turns back into a staff. He tells him, now, stick your hand in your coat and pull it out. He pulls it out, and his hand is leprous. And then he puts his hand back in his coat at God's command, pulls it out, and it's healed. God's demonstrating, and one of the things we're going to talk about is God's, he is outside of and king over all nature. This is not just uh, an accidental kind of demonstration of a magic trick by the God of the heaven and the universe. This is him demonstrating his all-powerfulness over sickness and disease. So the passage finishes up where Moses is basically saying, no way am I doing what you're asking me to do. I remember what happened last time, and I don't want to do it. The hidden face moment of fear turns into his bold face denial and decline of the call. He says, please, Lord, I am not a man of words, neither recently nor in the past, nor since you're speaking to your servant, because I am heavy of mouth and of tongue. And Yahweh says to him, and this is verse 11, who gave a mouth to, (laughs) this is a moment where I almost want to melt right now just reading it, who gave a mouth to humankind, or who makes mute or deaf or sighted or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? So Moses still says, please, Lord, do send somebody else. Please send somebody, just not me. Please send somebody else. So God gets angry. And in the final passage of this this section, he says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he certainly can speak. You will speak to him. You'll put words in his mouth. And I myself will be your mouth. And with his mouth, I will teach you what you must do. So God says, I'll fill your mouths with the words that you must speak and I'll send you to do the thing that I'm calling you to do. Even in the midst of Moses' seemingly denial, God says, you're doing it. Deal. And Moses steps out of that moment in obedience and walks. And I won't get ahead of us. Awesome story yet to come, so please keep coming out for this Moses stuff. Today, I want to focus on three things we pick up from this story. Firstly, how he was set out into the wilderness and what that means for us. Secondly, the fact that he was set right by glorious encounter. And then thirdly, that he was set apart by the grace of God. Not by his own doings, thank God, but by God's work in him. So if you follow this story, going back to the set out into wilderness, we need to hear this today. Has anybody ever been in a dark place of life? Anybody? I know we all need second chances. Anybody ever felt like a seed planted under the ground and it's just death coming instead of growth? I know I have. And in Pastor Dave's, um, I love the way that he does and plans for these uh, messages and inviting people in because it was months ago that he gave this assignment or asked me, invited me to, to take on this assignment to preach. And I can't tell you how many moments there have been of darkness and gray days where in studying this passage I've been reminded that it's not darkness. Darkness is not death. Quietness from God is not him quitting on you. It's a matter of time and seasoning for us to go through so that he can grow us into the people that he is calling us to be. See, we see the burning bush moment and we think, thank God he did it. We forget about the 40 years where he's walking the sheep in the, in the wilderness and in the pastures. You might be in a pasture moment. You might be in a moment right now where you've made a mistake. There's been something that's happened and you're looking back with shame upon your life and going, I'm done. 
this new life that I'm living, it's just plan B, subpar version of whatever my life could have been. That's garbage. God's working out in you the things that he has called to be for you. And we see it in Moses, and we see the story of redemption and second chances all throughout the gospel, Old Testament and new alike. And this is another moment where we see Moses walking his journey, learning how to be a man who seeks after God, learning a new confident humility that he didn't have before. You see, Moses, when he took the sword and killed the Egyptian, was standing in his own strength, his own power. He said, I'm going to take charge here. I'm going to make it right. And in the moment he stands before God, 40 years later, we see a different Moses. We see a Moses who's grounded. His feet are bare on the ground, and when he's naked before God, he doesn't puff his chest out and tell him how great he's going to do. Instead, he shrinks back and hides and realizes, I don't have it. I can't do this. And God says, I'm with you. And it's still not enough for Moses. So as we see him set out in the wilderness, take from this the moment of transformation that has happened in Moses' life. We see the, the growth in him to the point where he's resting in God's power for him, extremely tentatively, but still obedient. I can't not think, and it'll be maybe a cheesy or corny illustration, but I can't not think of the butterfly that wraps itself in a cocoon and for months is dark and cold and seemingly dead, but breaking out of that cocoon stretches its wings and the beauty of flight and the beauty of that natural phenomenon of transformation is now seen and known. When you're tempted to think that your life is dead and dark, remember, it's only a season. It's only a season of God growing and transforming things that only he can do. Rest in the knowledge of his goodness. Moses was set right. And now in this, we see that Moses was set right, not just by what he can do, not at all by what Moses could do, but by who God is. So we're going to see a couple things that are happening here that we see actually Moses being brought to a place of awe which I think is appropriate for us to be as well. Have, have you ever met somebody that caused awe in your life or had a situation that caused awe? I mean, I know it might be happening right now as you look up here at my beautiful face. It could be, but I'm not talking about that kind of awe. I'm talking about awe where it's a whole nother level of understanding. Uh, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, and that's not an awe-inspiring thing in and of itself. All right, just hang with me. But in the 90s, I had the chance to meet one of the tight ends from the Super Bowl attending Buffalo Bill teams. Um, and so I met Pete Metzelars. Some of you may remember him. If you don't, all you need to know was he was a behemoth of a man. And I got to meet him, and when I shook his hand, his hand was literally like a baseball mitt wrapping around my little twig of an arm. And when I shook his hand and he wrapped his fingers and his hands, his fingers literally overlapped over my hand, I thought, oh, there's a whole nother type of human being. <laughs> awesome, right? It was one of those awe-inspiring moments where I realized, holy cow, I'm never going to play in the NFL and I need to think about what I'm going to do because at five, six, and like 200 pounds, I thought that was my destiny. Um, but it was that moment that changed me and I understood differently. That's happening or ought to happen for us as we read this scripture. We understand that there's some things about who God is that take us to a different understanding. One of those things is that he is the God of the living and the dead. 
later in Scripture, Jesus is actually questioned about who uh, about resurrection. And they say to Jesus, this is in New Testament, they say, Jesus, tell us about resurrection. We're kind of confused. Do people come back to life after they die? Do they not? What's the deal? And he points back to this moment where God is talking to Moses, and he declares that he is presently the God of Abraham, presently the God of Isaac, presently the God of Jacob. Are you getting the tense there? God is presently the God of all things, and he is outside of time. So when your life is in the garbage dump, and you're looking and you're going, oh, I missed my opportunity, I missed my opportunity. Or you're wondering, could anything ever be redeemed of this? Remember, he is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And so as we go forward, we have hope that God is going to resurrect not just us in our lives, but can resurrect even the darkest moments that we screw up or that somebody else screws up. He is the God of the living. He is the God of Jacob. He is the God of Abraham, and he remembers his covenant. God hears, sees, remembers, and knows. And now this is the beautiful part of the story. God moves not as a result of Moses being so mature, right? God moves because he sees the suffering, hears the pain, because he understands and knows what's going on with his people. Sometimes we get into a mode and we think, oh, this is nobody knows what the struggle is that I'm going through. I'm praying, I'm seeking God, but there's no answer. You can trust because we see this awe moment that God is hearing, God is seeing, and he might be just waiting for all things to come together for the right moment of redemption and transformation. And I know based on my story, and you might know as well, that if it, if it happened in our timing, it would be a wreck. Trusting God with his timing is hard, it's painful, but it's good, and it's worthy. And Moses, after 40 years, realizes God sees, God hears, God understands, and God knows. Psalm 34, 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. If you're crying today, if you're going home, maybe nobody knows it, and you're spending time in the dark, feeling like nobody hears you, rest in the knowledge that God hears your cries. He sees those tears, and he is at work for your good and his glory. Thirdly, God is outside of and king over the natural kingdom. This bush is burning but not consumed. Okay, let's just get that in our heads for a second. Like, the bush is made of wood, right? Last time I checked, natural things burn that are growing out of the ground. And when they burn, they turn to ash. God is sustaining this shrub and keeping it alive, even though in the midst of fire, it not ought to be. Do you have anything right now in your life that, is, that you fear is just destroying you or someone you love? Do we have anything in our lives that we fear could crush us and burn us to ash? Remember that God is the king outside of and over all of nature. I remember this passage when I'm wrestling with what to do, how to pray for sickness, for disease, for other things, and should God choose to heal in a moment or take a time and even in the resurrection, whatever it might be, I'm trusting that he's the king over nature. He never runs out of fuel. His glory never dims. His beauty never fades. He does not get energy from anything outside of himself. He's not in heaven waiting for us to praise him so that he can charge up and then do the next thing he needs to do. He is fully sustained, 
for all eternity. And can I just throw this in here? He always has been, and creation was not an, an action of God so that he could get from us. Creation was an act of God so that he could give to us. We give him glory in response. We give him gratefulness and praise in response to his great love towards us, but we are an overflow of God's goodness. And so as his created beings, we respond to this glorious king by saying we love you, we thank you, and we'll walk with you. His love is poured out on us, not because he needs it from us, but because it's an overflow and he's gracious. I think of being on a mountain. Anybody ever done some mountains in the Adirondacks? If you haven't yet or if you're thinking about it, I encourage you to do so. It's one of these moments where you're on a mountain and you see the sunrise in the distance and you want to take a picture. Actually, I did this. The first few times I did mountains, I took pictures and I couldn't wait to show everybody. And then every picture, this was back before cell phones actually, and I was showing them on one of those um, Polaroid things, the old film, right? I'm really dating myself now. What are those things called when you used to take the stuff to the store and have them printed? Film. Thank you. So we're, I'm showing people these pictures, and I remember we actually had panoramic pictures printed, the big ones, because I'm like, I really want people to appreciate this. And what happens? You show them, and they're like, yeah, that's great. No, you don't get it. You don't get it. Like, it's amazing. The colors are beautiful. You can't, even right now, I'm frustrated because I can't communicate it the way that it's so beautiful. But when you're there and you feel the wind across your face and you see the sun and the warmth of the rays of light come on your skin, you just think, God, you're amazing. I'm so small and you are so big. Thank you. It's awe-inspiring, not because of what the ground is made of, but because who made the ground. We get to be serving the king who is in and over and all around nature. Finally, what we learned from this passage is that Moses was set set apart by grace. And I would say, so are we, each one of us. Moses was from a typical family. If you read the genealogy, you'll see he was the son of Levite, a Levite. Nothing spectacular about his birth other than the fact that he was set in a basket and drifted away, even orphaned. But God used the outlier. God used the one to redeem the many. An ever-present theme in Scripture. He uses the remnant to redeem the many. And he says to Moses, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for your life. And what does Moses say? Forget it. Not me. I know what happened last time. I'm not going to let that happen again. I can't help but think when Moses hears the, the words of God calling him to do work, I can't help but think that he's remembering when those two Hebrews said to him, who made you prince of Egypt? Are you going to kill us just like you did the Egyptian? And he hears God calling him to do something, and the only thing he can remember is the way that it went last time. And he's lost trust both in himself and even in God. And instead of stepping forward in strength, he steps forward and he actually doesn't step forward at all. He steps back in fear. And he he hears the voice of the past people talking about him louder than he hears the voice of God speaking for him now. Anybody else in the room ever do that? We'll hear the voice of our past, even maybe ourselves, louder than we will the voice of God in our lives. And I want to challenge you today to do the same thing Moses did. Allow God to be with you as you step forward. It's the grace of God that carries us into the call of God. 
not our strength, not our own feet. Remember, Moses was naked and bare before God. It wasn't in Moses' strength. It was in God's presence that took Moses into his calling. I think of a pot on a wheel. Uh, the, the clay is shapeless and simply formed in the hands of the potter. As we walk forward, as we think about the story of Moses and we think about our own lives, all we need be is clay and allowing the potter to shape us. Today, my hopeful takeaway for you is that you would believe in God, the one who was and is, the one who always will be, that you'll listen to his voice and his declaration of who you are, and that you'll set to work on the calling for which he has set you apart for. As we wrap up, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. It would be amiss for me not to point to a very clear and present comparison. Moses, before God, says, absolutely not, I won't do it. And God compels him to do so and even brings along a helper for him to execute on the mission that God's called him to do. But it reminds me of another moment later in scripture where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and God, he knows the mission God has called him to do. He's the night before he's to go on trial for crimes he did not commit. And Jesus in prayer says to his father, Abba, father, all things are possible for you. Please remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And in the midst of Jesus' declaration of God's will over his life, he chooses to voluntarily be made a sacrifice for the many so that we could be set ablaze by the glory of God. I want to read to you what one of the commentaries said in reference to this point. It said, The only way for us to come into the presence of a holy God is to become holy ourselves. This is why God sent his Son to be our Savior. He is our holiness. We could never keep God's law, but Jesus kept it for us with perfect holiness. Then he died on the cross to take away all of our unholiness. Now when we trust in him, God accepts us as holy in his sight, as holy as Jesus himself. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The grace of God has shown through the cross enables us to approach the Holy One, not as Moses did, hiding his face in fear, but by faith, trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The God who sees, the God who hears, the God who knows and remembers is also the God who saves. Please stand. As we wrap up today, I want to declare this word over you from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah wrote, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Holy Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Father, we thank you for your good news that you have redeemed us and given us the second chance we need through only and forever your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to trust in you more today, Father. Amen. Please sing.